0: Father, I pray for us this morning. We read this story in your word, but these are not words simply to mull over, hear, and understand. We want to leave this place this morning longing for your presence. We want to sense that you are right here with us. We want to understand that that in the hardest moments of our life, it is your presence that's going to keep us from evil and hold us in the truth. And it's your presence that we long for, Lord. We don't need more words. We need to come close to you. And so we are asking for help this morning, we, we would be a congregation who together inches and maybe even walks and strides to be closer to you this morning. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's easy to evaluate the presence of the Lord using all the wrong criteria. And so uh, the Lord is with me if I can feel it somehow. You don't always feel the presence of the Lord. Or the Lord is with me if everything is going well or right for me. The Lord is with me if I am free from relational breakdowns and trouble. The Lord is with me if uh, I'm experiencing uh, the heights of investing growth. The Lord is with me if my job is going well. The Lord is with me if I say the Lord is with me, right? And so in this passage today, all of that gets turned up on its head, and we start saying, okay, uh, that's not at all what it means for the Lord to be with us. Sometimes when the Lord is with you, you're born into a completely dysfunctional home, and you have no relationship with your mom and dad when you're an adult, like Joseph in this story. Sometimes when the Lord is with you, your brothers hate you and sell you into slavery. Sometimes when the Lord is with you, you are wrongfully accused and you lose your job and go to jail for years. And sometimes when the Lord is with you, your life is hard. And so what we want to do is ask the question, if, if good things do not mean the Lord is with me necessarily, and if bad things do not mean that the Lord is not with me necessarily, Let's get our arms and brains wrapped around today. What does it mean that the Lord is with us? So starting in verse one, now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites, had bought him from the Ishmaelites, and had brought him down there. The Lord was with joseph the first thing i want us to see about this concept of the lord being with us is that there is a blessing connected with it and when, by blessing i mean a supernatural god is working in a unique way his hand is on joseph in a profound way in this story this story here in psalm in genesis 39 is a story that's tied into genesis 12 to 50. It's the story of the beginning of the covenant that God was keeping with his people. You remember in Genesis chapter 10 and 11, we have the Tower of Babel. And to make a very long story short, a whole bunch of people stood up and said, we will make a name for ourselves. We're going to make a name for ourselves in this world. Let's build this tower to the heavens and we'll see God. And God says, no, no, no. I'm going to confuse your language, but here's what I am going to do. I am going to make a name for myself through Abraham. And he chooses in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham, and he brings Abraham near and he makes a covenant of his own choice. God makes a a covenant with Abraham and says, through you, Abraham, I will bless the nations of the earth. And so Genesis 12 all the way up through Genesis 39, we don't see that the Lord is yet blessing the whole earth. Through, through this line. So far, he's given Abraham a tract of land, and they've lived on it, but here we see that, that Joseph was taken from that tract of land against his will to a neighboring nation, and we're going to find out in Genesis 39 through 50 that there are seven years of amazing abundance that's coming their way, and then seven years of famine, and Joseph understands understands by a vision from the Lord that that's happening, and he is going to be a blessing to the nations. In the seven years of plenty, he is going to store up tons of food so that in the seven years of famine, Egypt has tons of food to share with the people who live in Egypt and the surrounding countries. Now, we say all that, to show you that in a unique way, the blessing, the supernatural hand of God is on Joseph in this moment so that he can know these things and that he can do these things. Now, if you fast forward, there's an ultimate blessing that comes from the promise of God to make, to, to, uh, uh, that Abraham's seed would be a blessing to the world, and we all know that, that ultimately Jesus would come through the line of Abraham. So it's almost like we're reading a story right now that's like, uh, okay, I promised I was going to bless the world through you. Here's my down payment. Here's my proof. I'm doing it now. But but the blessing to come when I send Jesus, he's going to take away the sins of the world. That is going to be the ultimate blessing. That's going to be profound and deep and rich. And so he is making this down payment saying, well, in Genesis 39... Yeah, I'm blessing the world, but the blessing's going to be even better later. Real quick parentheses. You're a blessing to the world today, or we should be a blessing to the world today. Do you know that when Jesus left and ascended into heaven in Matthew 28, he says, hey, guys, uh, this isn't just for Israel anymore. All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth, and I want you to go into every nation. All of the nations, and I want you to be a blessing to them as you stay on mission and announce to them that there is one who will take away the sins of the world. And what does he say after that? And I promise that I will be with you. I will be with you even into the end of the age. So, guys, today we are part of this blessed, this blessing that God wants to do as he ministers his promise and his covenant. As you go to work, you don't go to work to just to get the job done, right? We're asking that in a supernatural way, God's hand is on us so that we can make our boss successful. And even beyond making our boss successful, we can minister the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people we work with. That's why you're there. To build good houses, sure. To make electricity work, yes. To make the plumbing go down, thank you. Thank you, plumbers right? Yeah, you're there for those purposes, but there's something bigger and there's something more than that as you are there to bless the people you work with by ministering the presence of God and reminding them who God is. Okay, so that's the first thing, that there's a blessing. And secondly, I want us to see what does it mean that the Lord is with us? It means that he is near us. With implies nearness, it implies that we are coming close. And can I just tell you that nearness is not dependent on God. Okay, God has revealed to us who he is. he is. He is the God of the universe. And so here he has set up shop in the middle of the world. His story is glorious and we hear it everywhere we go. And he does not come near to us. I mean, he does come near to us, but that's not what he's talking about when it says the Lord is near or the Lord is with you. He is calling you to come close to him this morning. And that is one of the essence, one of the factors of essence in being with the Lord, that you are near him. You say, well, why do you say God doesn't come near to me, but I should come near to him? Here's a couple things I want to throw out there to to point out to you. Deuteronomy chapter 4. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us, listen, whenever we call upon him? The Lord is with you implies this. You are regularly calling on the name of the Lord. You are coming near to him. Do you do that? Is that a part of your everyday life? Stuff's going on around you. Issues are surrounding you. You don't need more information. You need to experience the presence of God. You want to understand that the Lord is with you. And so you're making time to cry out to him and say, Lord, you see the issues around me. We're going to find out later in this passage is exactly what Joseph does. He's about prayer. He draws near to the Lord. The second factor is, is this, is that as we draw near to the Lord, we're finding out that the Lord is separate from every other God. He alone is the, the living God, okay? We see that in Leviticus chapter 10, verse 3. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said, among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, I will be set apart. You understand that God is holy, that he is holy. He's not going to get more holy. And so here he is again. God has revealed himself to us. He set up shop, and he's saying to those of you who are serious about a relationship with me, we're all sprinkled out, and we're all, we're all kind of out there among the people of the Lord. And he's saying, look, here's a constant invitation to you. I'm asking you, as you cry out to me, here's what I'm asking you to do. Come closer. Come closer. Come closer. How do we come closer? We sanctify him in our hearts and understand he is holy. So the first responsibility of understanding what it means that the Lord is with us is that there's a blessing and there's a requirement for you and me to inch closer to him, to walk closer to him, to not be content with how close we are to the Lord and how we feel his presence today, but to come closer than we've ever been before. The final illustration of this is found in James 4, 8. James 4, 8 says this, Draw near to the Lord, and he will draw near to you. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. If you're going to draw near to the Lord, you're going to submit yourself to his ways. You're going to hear what he says and fall under it. That's what submission is. Gladly choosing his authority over you. Submit yourself to the Lord. Resist the devil. Are you near the Lord? This is a, this a private little part of your life where you're not resisting the devil? And you think it's not really hurting anyone, but it's kind of your little thing, an attitude or a behavior, an action? Well, if you want to be near the Lord, you're going to need to, if you want to be with the Lord, you've got to draw near to him. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Now, listen, he kind of explains how to do that. He says, cleanse your hands. The word hands there is a euphemism for the way you live your life. So clean up your pattern of life if you want to be near the Lord, if you want to experience his presence. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. Ask the Lord to meet with you and and, uh, apply the scriptures to you in a deeper way because he wants presence. He wants to be with you. Purify your hearts, you double-minded be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. And the idea is, is that we, we need to take the glory of God seriously. We don't just go off and lollygag around our life and kind of have a good old time even while we're living in known sin. We're far from the Lord. We know we're far from the Lord. But let's just eat, drink, and be merry because we're, we're doing the best we can, right? And this passage is saying, look, if you want to be serious about the presence of the Lord, then you have to do the work of drawing near to him. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. Spend time with him. Let him examine you. Let him reveal to you the places where, you know, it looks on the outside like we're kind of close, but I'm avoiding eye contact with God. And God is saying, come on, more than you've ever done it before, if you want to experience the presence of the Lord, if you want to understand who he is, and you want to get this, the Lord is with us concept, then you're going to draw near to him, and that's on you. It's on me to draw near to the Lord. So God is calling us, beloved. To approach him. You say, well, there's a lot of reasons why I find it hard to approach him. We're going to look at some of the reasons why we, we have for not approaching the Lord. Joseph had a bazillion reasons to not approach the Lord and to not live under this blessing of being with him. And, and yet he overcame those reasons. So uh, what does it mean that the Lord is with us? It means that he's near us and he's calling you to be near him, to take the initiative to come close. Well, thirdly, not only is there a blessing in the concept here that the Lord is near you, I want you to know that if you are, uh, if the Lord is with us, he is for us, okay? The Lord is for us. He wants to do good and beautiful things in your life. Now, those good and beautiful things may result and may be changing your circumstances, but it may not. Here's a few things I jotted down. As the Lord promotes his causes through you in this world, the Lord is for you. He is promoting his causes through you. He fights against his enemies through you. Exodus 14.25, Numbers 14.9. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land. The people of the land who stand against God, they're bred for us. The Lord's gonna feed us from their resources. They are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them. And listen, the Lord is with us. Beloved, there are, there are no better words to try to digest and think through that this concept that the Lord is with us means that the Lord is for us. He is bringing his appointed ends for history to an end that is going to uh, absolutely... Uh, Uh, promote his cause, the whole world is going to see his glory, and he is going to use his people in his sovereignty to deliver the victory. He fights against his enemies. He loves you and forgives your sin. Do You know that? He wants to forgive your sin. As you draw near to him, God is forgiving your sin because of what Jesus has done. Exodus 34, 9, Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped, and he said, If I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for for it is a stiff-necked people, and Lord, pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. The Lord's pardoning the iniquity of his people, though it be great, as we draw near to him, and we, you, you are his inheritance. He died to get you as his inheritance. He loves you. The Lord is for you. He preserves us in trouble. Joshua 24, 17 and 18. For it is the Lord who brought us uh, and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did this great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also serve the Lord, for he is our God. The Lord preserves you. He preserves you. And if the Lord is with you, he not only loves you and preserves you, he promotes you for his namesake. We're going to look at that as we continue to look here at at, uh, Joshua, uh, excuse me, Joseph in Genesis 39, he cannot be defeated in any way by anyone when the Lord sets his mind and heart to a task. He will have the the victory. If God is for us, Romans 8 31 says, well then, who can be against us? You think that uh, uh, having no clothes is going to separate? You think that peril could separate you from the Lord? Do you think that having no money could separate? No, no. I am convinced of this, that neither height nor depth, nor things present, nor things to come, principalities, dominions, nothing in the created world, nothing in the heavens, nothing under the heavens, nothing can ever separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He's with us. He is for us. And if God is for us, beloved, who can be against us? And so... This is what it means that the Lord is with us, and it's what uh, we are taught time and time again throughout Genesis 39. But God is with us. Well, why would we ever doubt that? Why would we ever come to the place where we think, yeah, you know, I know it and I've heard it and and all, but man, why would we ever come to the point where we start thinking God's not with us? Well, Joseph is a prime example of why we might think God's not with us. Maybe you can relate. Look again back at verse 1 of chapter 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt. Let's stop there. Here's the reason why you might think God's not with you. Because of all the junk that's happened to you so far. Note that he went down to Egypt against his will. He didn't go down to Egypt. He was brought down to Egypt. He didn't choose that. He wouldn't have chosen that. He didn't want to go there. He went from the land that his father had. He went from the land of his heritage and legacy, and he was brought in slavery against his will to a far-off land, someplace he didn't want to go. And I don't know what kind of junk, what kind of hardship, what kind of difficulty has been going on in your life, and you could say with Joseph, man, this is not what I chose. It's been so hard. It's been everything I would have avoided if I could have avoided it. And my life today is harder than I ever thought it was going to be. And I, John, you can share all you want about the presence of the Lord, and God is with us, the Lord is with us. But I've got to be honest with you today. I, I'm, I'm doubting it. My heart is breaking. This year has been harder than... Then maybe you'd say to me, maybe you'd say this year has been harder than any other year I've ever gone through. And I didn't choose any of this. And so what has happened to me so far makes me doubt that the Lord is with me. But maybe you'd say, well, I, you know, I, I thought I would be a lot further along than I am. I thought I would be fast-forwarded like two or three or four chapters in my life by now, and here I am. And in Genesis chapter 37, Joseph has these dreams. And he tells, I don't know why he tells his brothers, but he tells his brothers, that his older brothers, that one day they're going to serve him. They're going to serve him. And by the way, keep in mind, you say, well, I had a hard upbringing. Here's another reason why I might doubt that the Lord is with me. My upbringing stunk. And Joseph would say, well, uh, I was raised in a home where... Uh, The two women that my father was married to had multiple children, and there was at least four women living in the house that my father had children with, and we all lived together under one roof, and my dad made it very clear to me that I was the favorite because he gave me a t-shirt that said, Joseph is the favorite. And he made me wear it around all the time. And so all my brothers hated me because I was the favorite. We call it the coat of many colors. But if we, if you lived today, I think it would be a t-shirt that would be like, I'm dad's favorite. And underneath it would say, I'm not kidding. You talk about a weird, dysfunctional family setting. And if you're anywhere near that, you go, you know, my dad or my, my, or my brother. or Listen, Joseph knows all about weird dysfunction in a family that, quote-unquote, claimed to follow God. He never used it as an excuse. Somehow he never used it as an excuse to doubt that the Lord was with him. Well, I thought I'd be further by now. Joseph has these dreams, and he thinks that the dreams are, and they do, but he, he's now in doubt. He thinks the dreams are saying that Joseph is going to be used by God somehow to bring about a grand plan, a grand scheme, a grand salvation somehow in the countries, and all of his brothers are going to, like, bow down to him. But the last thing that happened with his brothers are that they sold him into slavery. And then, have you ever been in a place where you're like, okay, My life has been junk. It's been so hard. That chapter was the worst. And now it looks like this next chapter is kind of promising. Because here Joseph was, he was in Potiphar's house. Potiphar is the captain of the guard in Egypt. He's got a lot of strength and power. And one thing we know for sure is that he took care of the high profile, the the rich and famous, the mover and shakers. When they got in trouble with the law, Potiphar put them in prison and tried to reform them and definitely took care of them to make sure that they were in jail. We find out that in Genesis 39 and 40. Well, uh, he's in Potiphar's house. So Potiphar's a big deal, and he's strong, and he's rich. And so he's also being promoted in terms of his role in that house. He's the captain of the house, if you will, of the captain of the garden. So he's beginning to see, okay, now, God, I can see you're, you're putting me in a place of prominence. But in this chapter, in, in a short period of time, the whole concept that now God is promoting me gets blown up as Joseph is wrongly accused when he stands for the authority of his God and he goes to jail for years in the prime of his life. You ever faced a disappointment like that? Well, I thought I'd be by now. I thought I would be a lot further along in this plan. I thought I'd be further ahead in what I thought God was doing in my life. And then I thought I was seeing a a good chapter play out and bam, I'm back to bad chapter stuff this blows. It's really hard, and I'm starting to wonder if the Lord is really with me. Maybe you feel completely alone. Joseph went from a place where he was in his family, in the land that God had promised, and now he's in Egypt, and literally there is like nobody who knows who the Lord is. We see the word Lord there, and it's a reminder. This is the the tender-hearted, personal name of God this is the God who keeps covenant if you look at verse 1 look at verse 1 in chapter 39 now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt verse 2 the Lord was with Joseph look at verse 10 uh, uh, excuse me verse 9 look at verse 9 because now Joseph is describing the Lord the covenant keeping personal Lord he's describing this to this woman who wants him to sin he is not greater in this house than I am, he says of his master, nor has he kept anything back from me except yourself because you are his wife. And so to honor my position and my duty and to honor my boss and most importantly to honor God, look at the end of chapter nine, verse nine. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You see that he uses the word God there? Here's why. Potiphar's wife has no idea anything about the Lord. He is completely alone in Egypt. No one would know if he compromises. No one would care if he compromises. There is not the beginning of some new gospel-centered community that's growing there. He is completely alone. you feel completely alone in your life? Like it would not matter today If you go back to where you came from, you go into the family that you're in, it would not matter one bit whether you obey the Lord or whether you despise him. Whether you are drawing near the Lord because he is holy or whether you move away from him and you convince yourself it just wouldn't matter. And can I tell you, I'm telling you this morning that the Lord is with you, it matters. It matters. We're going to see that when we, when we have proofs of what the Lord is doing in just a minute. But you feel so completely alone. Uh, fourthly, the reasons we doubt, I, we see no current evidence that God is at work in this world doing anything at all. And that's where Joseph was. There was no current example where he could go, well, my brothers, no. Uh, my dad, no. He thinks, no. Uh, uh, some movement of, no, no. Uh, you know, at least when I, when I stand for the right, somebody else, no, no, there is no evidence anywhere in his life that God is present or doing something strong. You feel isolated and completely alone. And finally, time, time. Reasons we doubt that the Lord is with us, man, it's, this is just too little too late. My life It's so slowly, slow to develop, and now if we look over, if you want to, you can look over just one page, Genesis 41 and verse 1, after two whole years, uh, that is to say in the prime of Joseph's life, he spent two whole years going nowhere forward in God's intentions for his life. You're in a holding pattern like that right now? God uses holding patterns. And what looks to us like stuck. What looks to us like jail. What looks to us like absolutely no forward progress. And if we are in a situation where, where what's happened to me and where I thought I would be by now and I feel completely alone and I see no evidence of God working and this time factor, all of that un- Uh, unfolds to this point where we start saying I don't know if the Lord is with me and so we get anxious and we start doubting. And when we start doubting, rather than coming near the Lord, we go far from the Lord. And we start going far from the Lord. The first thing that starts to happen is we start making moral compromises with who we are. We don't spend time with him. And we start saying, God doesn't seem to care. Nobody else is gonna care if I start using this language. Nobody else is gonna start care, care if I start doing this with my money. No one else is gonna care if I start making sexual compromises or, or what I look at on the internet. Nobody else is gonna care if I start to comfort myself Nobody else is going to care either. And we tell ourselves that we are not experiencing the presence of the Lord. But my beloved, God wants you to sense His closeness. When I was little, I've told you the story before, so I'll make it quick. It was my second day at school, and I was walking home by myself for the first time ever. And I remember this: you go to the corner and you walk two blocks. That works great when you go to the right corner. When you go to the wrong corner and walk two blocks and you're seven years old in a new city that you've never been in, you're just four blocks further away from home, right? And that's where I was, completely lost. I remember that like it was, almost like it was yesterday. It was winter and uh, I can remember that because of some personal details of the story I won't tell you about, but nonetheless, it was a really hard time. I had anxiety in my gut. I was sick. I was asking for help. I was asking mailmen and police officers which way. Thankfully, I had memorized my, my address, and so uh, the, uh, the policemen were eventually able to help get me home. Fast forward a couple years later. I was at Holland Fest with Mom and Dad. And uh, she was someplace else, and I was with my dad. I have to be reminded of this story because uh, I was not anxious at all. Because what my dad said through the next two to three hours, is mom is lost. Mom is lost. And so we wandered around the streets of Cedar Grove, and he, she, he was continually saying, she's lost, she's lost. Where is this woman? And she, he just kept walking. Well, I was a kid, and I was hungry. And so I didn't know where mom was, but this I knew, dad was right here. And so while there was trouble in my life, I was looking around and asking for Oli Bowen at Holland Fest. Because I didn't have a care in the world. Why? My dad's right here. And my friend, when you feel completely lost in this world, if you have the presence of the Lord, you have everything. And all of the anxiety that would otherwise be bubbling up in your life can be put to rest because dad's close by. And that's exactly what this is talking about that the Lord is with us. Well, Here's some proofs and here's some things that we should keep in mind and how we know that the Lord is with us. We're going to cruise through this, okay? We've already talked about one of them, so I'm not going to spend much time on it. He's told us that he's going to be with us. He says, look, I have all the authority in the world and I want you to know I, by the power of the Spirit living in you, I will be with you as you stay on mission for me and as you draw close to me, I will stay with you, I promise you. Now, in the Old Testament, it was episodic how the presence of the Lord. In other words, depending on the situation, the people felt the presence of the Lord, but they didn't always have it. But as we have the Holy Spirit living in us, one of the great blessings of that is we have the presence of the Lord guiding us. It's promised to us. How we know the Lord is with us, he's told us. Number two, a vibrant prayer life. In Genesis thirty-nine twenty-one, it says this: "But the Lord, but the Lord was with Joseph, and showed him steadfast love." And the word "steadfast love" that word, it, it impl- it's used of a prayer life that is uh, that is showing that God has loyalty to us when we cry out to Him. So here's the question, the practical question. You cry out to the Lord? I'm not talking about do you like being taught about crying out to the Lord. I'm talking about when you go home, the TV is off, the door is closed, the scriptures are open. You're singing praises to the Lord on your knees before him and saying, Oh God, you see this broken situation. I have not sensed your closeness to me. I have not seen your hand of protection over me. I am struggling with this concept of are you with me? And as much as I can in my strength this morning or or this afternoon or whatever it is for you, you are saying to him, Lord, I want to draw near to you and I want to understand your presence. I want to sense that you are close. And I'm asking you to hear my prayers and respond to them. The concept of loving kindness there is that God hears that prayer and responds to it. He knows that you're crying out, right? A vibrant prayer life. God was loyal to Joseph as he cried out and as he drew, drew, drew near to him. You have a growing experience with God's loyalty to you. That is, as you draw near to him, you are seeing his hand of blessing on you. You're seeing that he's serious about uh, keeping you close to his heart. Listen you don't know how you're faithfulness and saying, you know what, the Lord is with me and I could remain angry with you and I could keep holding a grudge and I could refuse to forgive but what if the Lord is going to use this tender kindness of his as you cry out to him, what if he's going to use that to melt the heart of your brother who's waiting to see the presence of the Lord in your life. He shows you his perspective on hard times. Listen, listen. God shows you his perspective. How do we know that the Lord is with us? We, we have a changed perspective. Two amazing things happened. Two incredible things happened for sure because Joseph went to jail for two years. Here's one thing we know for sure. It's the best thing, I think. He was removed from a place of temptation. He was a slave. He didn't have choice. He didn't have a choice to go to work every day where this woman was tempting him day after day after day. And do you know, it would be better to be sometimes, I'm not telling you if you're tempted at work, you should quit your job, but you should consider it. Because it's better to be not tempted and to be holy before the Lord than it is to to sin. In fact, Jesus, when he taught us how to pray, he said, here's some things you should pray about. Let's pray that the the kingdom of God would come on earth the way it is in heaven. And let's pray that we have our daily needs met and that the Lord supplies our need. And, And here's one more thing to pray. Let's pray that the Lord would not lead us into temptation but would deliver us from the evil one. That's what happened in this story. God used jail, two years of jail, to immediately remove Joseph from a situation for which there was no other way out for him. He was going to have to endure and be strong and fight the flesh day after day after day. And God said, not if I put you in jail. By the way, he should have lost his life. I'm pretty sure that Potiphar thought his wife's story was, uh, well made up, or at least trumped up, because Joseph should have died for what he did, and Potiphar put him in jail, the jail that he, Potiphar, oversaw, rather than put him to death. It's an interesting part of the story there. The second amazing thing that happened is he spent two years in jail alone. We know for sure that in jail, because he had a right heart, Uh, In jail, he made relationships with people that years down the road would be the ultimate people who would bless Joseph's life and put him in a position to minister the the faithfulness of God most effectively. He met the cupbearer. He met the baker. These people were higher-ups, not in Potiphar's house, but in Pharaoh's house. And he met these guys while he's in jail. Now, they forgot him. At first, when they left, they were not necessarily faithful to the relationship. But later, God used these two years in jail to to position Joseph to have his maximum impact for the faithfulness of God. My friends, right now, right now in your situation where you have been wrongfully accused and you are absolutely innocent and you did nothing wrong and you are in a situation at at somebody else's request, at somebody else's movement, and it's the hardest situation you've ever been in, can I just say, allow God to change your perspective. It might be that today, because of what you're going through, God is positioning you to have the maximum impact you'll ever have on this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ today. You say in the dark? Yeah. You say in the midst of injustice? Yeah. Stop fighting for your rights. Stop demanding that people hear you and start drawing near to the Lord and know this. He knows what he's doing. He knows your heart. He knows what's going on. You have this growing experience with God's loyalty, and you have this growing contentment with the presence of the Lord. Guys, as we live like this, if we could go from this place and say, okay, what are we going to do today as a congregation as a result of but God is with us? And we're going to do this. We're going we're to draw near to him this week. With your Bibles open and your door closed and your praise music on and your heart open before the Lord, we're going to draw near to the Lord together. We are going to uh, ask him to show us how to cry out to him in prayer and how to long for him. And we're going to allow him to change our perspectives on this dark day. Listen, I don't know how Joseph did it, but he, he doesn't talk bad about the brothers that sold him into slavery. In, Psalm, in Genesis 50, when finally... Uh, when finally uh, Pharaoh sees Joseph's family coming. Pharaoh does not complain about them and he's not angry at them. He he receives them with blessing and gives them a place of honor. And here's why I think he did that. I think Joseph didn't talk negatively about his his family. He totally received that what I'm going through today is from the Lord. And that's reiterated in, in Genesis 50 when he says, brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You can endure that if the Lord is with you. Let's stand and we'll be dismissed. Father, we don't want more information. We need you today. We need you to come and minister your presence to us. So I pray for that heart that wants to get started and is hearing this for the first time and is like totally, like, like really confused about where to even start. And I pray that they would have a friend in here today who would take them by the hand and show them what it looks like to come before you and to know that you are with us. In Jesus' name, amen.